Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. We're in a series called Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics. And we've just been understanding the fundamental aspects of our faith, the essentials of our salvation. And it's so easy to move on to that which is bigger and that which is brilliant that you just forget the basics, the basics. And we've been using the book of Romans as our template. And so we're going to do that today. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse number 21. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you need some time to find it, say, hold up. Okay. I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. Appreciate you. <laughs> that was a desperate hold up. I'm going to wait. <laughs> Romans chapter 3. Start at verse number 21. What the Apostle Paul says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all. Somebody say all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, oh, you catching on. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. First of all, before I even tell you my title or really go any further, y'all got to pray for your pastor in this series. The book of Romans is like trying to exegete some filet mignon. These are not kibbles and bits that the Apostle Paul is laying out. I've been trying to take us book by book, but we could actually spend like six years just on one verse in one chapter because that is how profound and how potent this is. So I'm just trying to do the best that I can. But look at what Paul says right there in verse 23. If you went to Sunday school, you got it memorized. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I want to preach today at the Windspear Opera House using this as a title. We all fall short. We all fall short. Oh, you got to say this title to your neighbor. Look at your neighbor right in their face and say, oh, neighbor, I know you think you look good. I know you got it going on, but let me remind you, <laughs> we all fall short. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor, you my second option. I know we in the Winsboro Opera House. You looking bougie and fancy, but I got a word for you. We all fall short. If somebody believes God's going to speak, would you just give him a praise in advance? I mean in advance. Come on. Father, speak today. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Plush seats. <laughs> we all fall short. 
want to take a minute and take in the atmosphere that we're sitting. Especially that chandelier. It's interesting because every year the prestigious group Theater DNA releases its top 10 chandeliers from around the world. They look for the biggest, heaviest, most opulent and technically sophisticated chandeliers in the world. And guess which chandelier took first place this year? This one right here. That is a custom chandelier with over 318 internally illuminated rods. It's 41 feet long. 41 feet in diameter. It has a multiplicity of all kinds of functions. One of my favorite functions it has is something called praise retraction. They just installed it, praise retraction. What happens with this chandelier is if anybody starts giving God praise, it will retract into the ceiling. Y'all believe me? And you're looking at me. I wish somebody would start giving God some praise right now. I mean some for real praise. I mean some praise that would shake the Windspear Opera House. I mean some praise that would let some people outside of this Opera House know that God is worthy of the honor and the glory that is due His name. I'm talking about some praise that'll get on your neighbor's nerve. I told you, it's praise retractable because when you lift up your voice and give God praise, this chandelier starts retracting. You didn't believe me, did you? Might have to put that in our building when we get our building. I'm glad you clapped. Ushers, did you see who clapped? Because that cost $5 million, okay, for the chandelier, $5 million. But, but I was thinking, I, I had this thought because I knew the chandelier would be here. I was thinking today, what, what if we had a contest? What if we had a contest? And uh, we'll give a cash prize away, let's say $5 million. What if we had a contest to see who could jump from the floor and touch the chandelier. Just, just stand flat-footed and jump from the floor and touch that chandelier. How, how many of you want to sign up for the contest? How, how many of you sign up? Five million dollars, would you, would you participate? I, I don't see any hands going out. Oh, somebody said, you'll, you'll give it a try. To start from the bottom and jump to the top. It's interesting because I, I'm quite sure that throughout this Winspear Opera House that there are those of you who have an incredible vertical leap. An incredible vertical leap. But no matter how good your vertical leap is, I'm willing to bet anything, you ain't gonna get close to the top of that chandelier. You might get close if it was a basketball goal up here, but not up there. No matter how high you jumped, you would still be so far off. Not because of your ability to jump, but because of the standard that was raised. Because the standard is so high. 
it really wouldn't matter what your leap was. It wouldn't really matter. I mean, we could get LeBron up here and we could put him in the competition. It would not matter what your vertical jump is. You know why? Because that is a high standard. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the tension that humanity has with a holy God, a holy God who is righteous because how many of you know his standard is so high, his standard is so perfect, his standard is so above you, his ways are above your ways and his thoughts are above your thoughts. So if you're trying to reach a God who cannot be approached with sin, it's going to be a struggle. No matter your effort, no matter your church attendance, no matter how many scriptures you got memorized, even if it's the book of Leviticus, you still gonna be a far way off simply because his standard is so high. This is the challenge that God has always had with humanity, especially since sin entered the world. It's because he is holy and we are not. He is righteous and we are not. He is perfect and we are not. And he has a standard that is so above us. He has a standard that is so transcendent that no matter how much you try in your own religious effort to jump, you will still be far off from the standard because he is that perfect. He is that holy. Now, I know some of you getting mad because you're like, I don't like that the standard is that high. Well, when you create your world, you can create your own standard too but because he is God and we are not and he created the world and out of nothing spoke something. When you create a world, you can create the standard and his standard is perfection. His standard is holiness and let's be honest, none of us have perfectly kept the standard. Oh, come on, can you be real at the Winsboro Opera House? Some of y'all cut somebody out in the parking lot on the way here. Not out loud, just in your breath, in your, under your breath. We can't reach the standard no matter how much we try. The standard is too high. None of us, if you're honest, you've perfectly kept the standard. It's so funny, I love our social kids team and our social kids team is killing it and, and they're growing and we're trying to do the best that we can to make sure that our children get principles and get the word of God. But I found this, this list, this list of the standard, the standard of God for kids. I want you to see it. And I love it because they put it in nice kitty language. Uh, these are the 10 commandments for kids, 10 commandments for kids. It says, number one, love God more than anything else. Number two, don't make anything more important than God. Number three, always say God's name with love and respect. Number four, honor the Lord by resting on the seventh day of the week. Number five, hallelujah, love and respect your mom and dad. Number six, never hurt anyone. Number seven, always be faithful to your husband or wife. Number eight, don't take anything that isn't yours. Number nine, always tell the truth. And number 10, be happy with what you have. Don't wish for other people's things. Can you believe that? That's what we tell little kids to get the 10 commandments in them. But isn't it funny that after we tell them those 10 commandments, I have never met a Sunday school teacher or a kid's teacher get up in front of those kids and say, by the way, you can't do none of that. You don't have it within your ability to do any of those things. You can try, but let's be honest, none of us have it in our ability to always perfectly keep those commandments. It is not in you. Now, selfishness is in you. Ooh, have you ever noticed if you don't believe in original sin, nobody has to teach a kid to lie. No, no, nobody takes a class on selfishness. You did not have to teach a toddler to go, mine. 
It was already in them, but to keep that standard, it is impossible to keep the standard. And so because the standard is so high, if I am being held accountable to that standard, if my innocence is predicated upon keeping all those I'm afraid, I'm going to fall short. I'm always going to come up short. I'm always going to end up guilty. This is what the Apostle Paul has been doing in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2. God bless you if you've still been with us this whole series because the Apostle Paul, I've been trying to add comedy, but how many know he has been kicking us upside the head this whole book. In Romans 1 and 2, he keeps coming out and letting us know that all of humanity is guilty before a holy God. He's been letting us know that no matter what you say, you are without excuse. I told you last week, if you want to put in a category, he says the godless are guilty. He says the moralist is guilty. And he says the religious is guilty. All of us are guilty before our holy God. He said, if you're godless and you're trying to suppress the truth, even the truth you're suppressing is letting you know that the heavens are telling the glory of God, trying to suppress the truth. The godless are guilty. He said that the moralist is guilty. Those of you that internally think, oh, I'm not that bad. I ain't killed nobody. At least I ain't Hitler. That's always the moralist statement right there. I ain't Hitler. I ain't that bad. You think you are inherently good, and you are not. He says the moralist is guilty. I told you the moralist always has a magnifying glass, and they're always magnifying other people's problems so theirs don't look that big. He said the religious, you're guilty. And he speaks pointed to the Jews in Rome, letting them know that just because you got the Ten Commandments and just because you have the law and just because you got circumcised on the eighth day, let me bring it to this century, and just because you go to church all the time and just because you know all the worship songs, it does not mean that you are living right. You love to condemn people that have sin of the flesh, but what about the sin of a filthy heart? What about the sin that you cannot see? He said, oh, y'all are guilty. I told you the religious, they don't have a magnifying glass, they have binoculars. And they love to stand at a distance and judge people at a distance because they don't want people to get up close and see them. But I said, if you're really going to judge anybody, you ought to judge with, ooh, this is review class, with a mirror. You want to judge somebody? Don't have a magnifying glass trying to magnify other people's problems and minimize yours. Don't judge people with the binoculars on your holy high horse and think you're better than other people and stand at a distance. Judge people with a mirror and let that mirror hit you first before it hits somebody else. Judge with the mirror. That's what I ended the message on last week. But I forgot to tell you that I gotta go deeper because the mirror is not enough. Thank you, Michael, for the song. I'm looking at the man in the mirror, but it's not enough. The mirror, have you ever noticed that a mirror doesn't change anything? You can look at a mirror all day long, have all kinds of stuff in your teeth, but that mirror's not gonna get it out of your teeth. A mirror does not have the power to change you. A mirror is like a scale. Hmm. You ever stepped on a scale? That scale don't do anything. Now, it'll tell you something. 
but it has no power to change anything. This is what the Bible is talking about with the law. The law is just like a mirror. The law is just like a scale. Yes, we need mirrors, and yes, we need scales, but they don't have the power to change anything. If anything, they just reveal who we really are. They just reveal what your weight really is, but it is impotent to change anything. This is why humanity needed more than the law. We had the law, but all the law does is reveal my depravity. All the law does is show me how messed up I really am. I needed more than the mirror. I needed more than the scale. I needed somebody named Jesus to come in and bridge the gap, bridge the chasm that's between me and him. The mirror is not enough. The scale is not enough because all the law does is reveal who you really are. And so Paul is writing to the Jewish community in Rome, letting them know that just because you got the mirror and just because you got the scale, the law, it doesn't mean you're good. If anything, it actually reveals who you really are and you still have a chasm between you and a holy God. All the law does is reveal. And so in the beginning of chapter number three, remember I told you this series is gonna be boringly exciting. Beginning of chapter three, Paul, almost like a lawyer in the courtroom, he starts thinking of objections that his audience is gonna say to everything he's hit up, up, upside the head with in chapter one and two. And the first objection he speaks to is, well, what advantage then is the Jew? What advantage is circumcision? Paul, if you're saying it's not a big deal, that I was born a Jew and it's not a big deal that I've been circumcised. Is there any advantage? And he goes, oh, hold up. There is an advantage because you were entrusted with the word of God. So you do have an advantage. Let me bring it to you where you're sitting. In other words, what Paul is saying with this first objection, hear me, is that a godly heritage is an advantage. A godly heritage is an advantage. If you are here today, and you were raised in a household that made you go to church, and you were raised in a household that made you go to Sunday school. That did not save you, but it did give you an advantage. There is an advantage to having a godly heritage. Oh, I thought I was gonna get six claps on that. Because you know what's new about this generation? We love to attack the things that we grew up in. Like, I can't believe my parents made me go to church. I can't believe they made me sing, Father Abraham had many. And Manny, I can tell the ones that grew up in church right there. Oh, I'm so sick of it. I've seen people do the opposite with their kids. They're like, I'm not going to do how my parents did me and made me go to church. I'm telling you, it was an advantage to you if you were raised in a godly household. It was an advantage to you if the word of God was put on the inside of you. It was an advantage to you. It doesn't save you. You got to have your own relationship. But some of y'all don't even realize the reason you're still here is because of a grandma that was praying for you. The reason you had that she lost your mind. It's because of a mama that was on her knees saying, not my baby. I plead the blood of Jesus. I know they in the club right now, but Father, I'm calling on your name for my child right now. You don't have a clue what a godly heritage has done for you. Oh, don't start tripping now. Don't start tripping now just because you've gotten more sophisticated. Oh, well, on Sunday's family day for our household. Really? Family day. Try that on a weekday. Try that on a weekday. I know school today. Family day. Family day. Isn't it funny 
that you would never give an option for your kids to go to school. But then we have parents with all the hell that's coming against our kids, making it optional for a kid to come into the house of God. I'm telling you, that'll say as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm preaching for what I know. Y'all are sitting in the godly heritage that I have. I remember I got sick one time, 13 years old. I told my dad, I ain't going this Sunday. I don't feel like it. He goes, let me tell you something. You have two options, okay? You can get out of that bed and go to church, or I will kill you. you go to church and have your funeral. Either way, you will be in the house of the Lord. So Paul, he's speaking to the Jews in Rome. He's saying, yes, there are some advantages. There are some advantages that you got the word of God. There are some advantages that you were circumcised, but don't let that make you think you are justified because of that, because we all fall short. So he says it's an advantage to have a godly heritage. The next thing he says, oh, I love this one. He puts this objection. He says, but what if some were unfaithful? Does that nullify the faithfulness of God? He said, God forbid. Then he gets gangster and said, let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, Paul is letting us know that God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. This is important to hear because we live in a culture where we don't want to deal with our own sin and our own issues. So we'd rather point fingers at the person who fell. We'd rather point fingers at the church and all of its flaws and all of its issues. We'd rather say, oh, see, those hypocrites, that's why I don't go to church, those hypocrites, really? That's why you don't, it's hypocrites in Target, you still go to Target, don't you? <laughs> it's hypocrites at the gym, you still go to the gym, don't you? Once a year, come on. <laughs> Isn't it funny? We find every excuse we can get to point to the unfaithfulness of other people as if their unfaithfulness affects the faithfulness of God. Paul immediately speaks to this and says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Just because some have been unfaithful, does that mean our God is unfaithful? He says, no, 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 no. God is still faithful. If everybody else is a liar, our God is still true. You've heard me say it all the time. Never project the character of humanity onto the character of your God. Just because they walked away doesn't mean God's gonna walk away. Just because they didn't have integrity doesn't mean God doesn't have integrity. Just because they were living a double life it means, doesn't mean that God is a double person. No, no, no. He said, uh, let God be true and everybody else a liar. This is close to my heart because if there's anything that I desire more than anything as your pastor, as a preacher of the word of God, hear me, is to live a life of integrity, to live a life that what I'm preaching on this stage, I am living behind closed doors. I love what Billy Graham said and I so resonate with it. Somebody asked Billy Graham, what is your greatest fear? He said, that I'll do something or say something that will bring some disrepute on the gospel of Christ before I go. That was his greatest fear, that he would mess up the name. Not that the name can be messed up because God is faithful, but those of us who represent 
him. It's important that our lives truly reflect the faithfulness of this God. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. But it does mean you should be being perfected in the process of becoming who God has called you to be. You know who I'm thinking about today? I'm sure you heard, of, I'm sure you heard about him. It was all over the news. It's all over newspapers. This pastor, you heard about him. I'm sure you did. This week, you heard about um, Pastor Rick Warren. Did you hear about it? You didn't hear what happened? I hate to tell you. Um, today, Rick Warren concludes 43 years of faithfully pastoring Saddleback Church and is retiring. One clap. That's what happened. No scandal. 43 years he pastored one church. And today's his last Sunday. I love it. That won't make the news tonight. CNN is not going to do no broadcast tonight saying, we just want to congratulate Pastor Rick Ward, who is concluding 43 years of faithful ministry. And tonight at 8 o'clock, we're running another story of how faithfully he baptized thousands of people. They ain't running that story. Look at some of y'all already like Googling. What, what, what? Did I Because there's something sick on the inside of us that actually loves to hear about the unfaithfulness of somebody else. Because if they're unfaithful, then maybe I get off the hook. Oh, let me be very clear. If you are a preacher of the gospel, the Bible is clear. God will hold you to a higher standard. But I love what Paul says. He said, if everybody is a liar, God is still true. Their unfaithfulness does not nullify the faithfulness of God. The last objection he gives, and I won't be on this one long, is he talks about those who erroneously think that somehow their unrighteousness makes the righteousness of God shine brighter. This is what Paul was attacking going on in that time period because some people began to pervert his words and say, well, Paul, if I'm guilty as charged and God is faithful, well, maybe my unfaithfulness and my unrighteousness is actually making God look better. Let me bring it to today. I'm working on my testimony. I've heard some people say that. Are you give your life to God. You know, I'm working on my testimony, player. You know, I'm out here trying to do some stuff. <laughs> you know, and then maybe God can get more glory, you know, if I do it, you know, if I do something crazy, you know, you know, y'all say amazing grace. Let me go and try this thing out. That's what Paul was attacking. Paul was saying, no, 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 no. Your unrighteousness does not make the faithfulness and the righteousness of God shine brighter. So he attacks that objection. And the reason that Paul is dealing with all of these objections is because Paul knows us. Paul knows that whenever humanity is hit with the truth, whenever we go to the doctor and we get a bad doctor report or the doctor says, yeah, you're gonna have to change how you eat. Oh yeah, I'm sorry, like you're gonna have to floss. I did before I came. <laughs> that it's our immediate reaction is to do what? Justify. Justify. In fact, I want to put that word on the screen because this is a big theme in the book of Romans. Justification. And before I deal with the theological issue of justification, I want to talk about the humanity in us that is always trying to justify ourselves. We're always trying to justify ourselves. 
In fact, it's funny because in the book of Romans, justification, the Greek word, is the same word for righteousness. It's the exact same word. Because all of us are trying to justify ourselves and all of us are trying to show our own righteousness, our report card. That's what we do. In life, we're always trying to show, here's why I'm worthy. Here's why I am somebody. Every single person is trying to justify themselves. I know you call it your Instagram feed. It's really justification. You're trying to prove this is why I belong. This is why I'm somebody. Some people do it through different things. Some people do it through their money and what they buy. And they buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't even like. Why? To show you, I'm justified. I am somebody. Oh, we do it through all kinds of things. We do it through our kids. Some of you right now have put a weight on your child because you only feel justified when they're successful. You only feel justified when they bring home the straight A's. You only feel justified when they're on the football field doing what you couldn't do. So now you're losing your mind on the sideline. Come on! How come you didn't catch that ball? There's your child head down. Because <laughs> you're yelling at yourself that didn't catch the ball in high school. Come on! It could have been me! Let me live through you because I'm trying to feel justified. Got to be careful because it is in all of us to put out our righteousness, to put out our record. And this is how humanity works. This is how our culture works. Even when you go for a job interview, what do you do? Here's my resume. Here's my references. You see my performance. Give me the acceptance. You see, you see my performance. Give me the acceptance. Do you know I have to be careful every time I'm preaching in front of you? Because if I'm not careful, this will become justification for me. I'll be getting up in front of you, trying to preach, saying, God, did you see that? That was 10 laughs today and one amen from a guy who never says amen. <laughs> Am I good? I'll be scrolling afterwards, looking at the comments on the YouTube page, trying to feel justified. And if you carry that philosophy into your relationship with God, you're always going to fall short because we are only justified, watch this, by faith, by grace, which is a gift, and you can't earn it. Do you realize that a lot of people can't accept the gospel, not because it's unbelievable, but because it seems too good? to be true. But you, what, what I got to do? Nothing. But, but how many scriptures I got? None. But it, it's a gift that can only be received. And I came to tell somebody who's constantly coming to God, putting on a performance, trying to get acceptance, to tell you, you're going to spend your entire life trying to get something that has already been given to you. Trying to get something that you have to receive by faith because it is a gift. I literally saw some of you trying to reach out to God going, 
Paul's got it. And you're going to wear yourself out trying to touch the top of that chandelier when you can. Paul clearly says that this justification that our soul so longs for can only be received as a gift. One of the best ways I've heard the term justification be understood is that God looks at you just as if you never sinned. How can he look at me just as if I've never sinned? Because the perfection that he demands, the standard that he demands that I could never pay was paid for in Jesus Christ on the cross when he paid the debt of sin. When I put my faith in him, his perfection, his record gets in my account automatically as a gift. Does that not mean I shouldn't live a life of holiness? Absolutely. Does that mean, mean I don't have to get in the word? Should I get in the word? Absolutely. But I'm not doing it to get the acceptance. I'm doing it because I'm already accepted. I'm doing it because I've already been embraced. I'm doing it because his righteousness was credited to my account. If you're in this room today and you feel like you're always falling short, I'm wondering if you've taken on the methods of this world into your faith. You're trying to give God this performance to get his acceptance. And he's saying, it is a gift that you have to receive. I asked the worship team to join me. When I read this scripture that we all fall short, there's only one Bible character that came to my mind. And those of you who have a godly heritage, you know who he is because he got a song too. Zacchaeus. Remember him? He was a wee little man. And the wee little man was he. He climbed upon the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Some of y'all missed that Sunday school class. You didn't get that song. He's one of the only people in the Bible that we find out he was short. Short. It's interesting because his name actually means pure. But he became something completely opposite of his name. He spent his entire life with people looking down on him because of his stature, but also looking down on him because of his character until one day. I'm praying that today would be somebody's one day. He said, what if I just go see this savior that everybody's talking about? Can you imagine the ridicule? This is a man who stole from his own people to line his own pockets. Can you imagine the courage it took to walk out that day when he heard Jesus was going to be in the area? But he did it. He ran past the ridicule. He ran past the laughs. Climbed a tree. And just wanted to look to see the Savior. I love Jesus because he responds to people who are willing to just take a step. 
I want to encourage somebody today that you ain't never been in church and today's your day. You just took a step. I'm telling you, God is faithful. If you'll draw close to him, he will draw close to you. But there's just something powerful about just taking one step. And there he is in a tree. And Jesus looks up. Zacchaeus! I know you've come up short, but I'm coming to your house today. The crowd went crazy. How, how dare he? Does he know what kind of person he is? In that time period, to go to somebody's house meant that you embraced them. And Jesus, this loving Savior, went to the house of a man who cheated people out of their retirement. Ooh. See, the church likes grace in theory, not in actuality. If you see the type of people that Jesus actually would hang out with and run to, you would be like, oh, not for them. Now, grace is all good, but not that. He goes to his house, sits with him, his life was changed forever. And Jesus declares, this man too is a son of Abraham. He said, I came here not to seek and save those who were found, save those who were lost. To those who feel like they always come up short, that's who I came for. Stop trying to get perfection in your account. You can't. It is a gift that must be received. I'm going to ask every person to stand to your feet right where you are. Would you just bow your heads? Father, standing in this room today admitting that we've all come up short. God, I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister who through their performance, they're trying to gain your acceptance, not realizing that we are only justified by faith. God, it's almost too good to be true that if we'll just put our faith, our trust in you. Thank you. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see my flaws, he doesn't see my sin, but he sees the perfect record of Jesus. God, we're tired of jumping, trying to fill in the space, the chasm that you already gave your life to fill. God, thank you that righteousness can come into our account today because of what you did on the cross. Your blood was enough. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.